Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the reading of the August edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. Taking a look at the front page of the Crestone Eagle and this article written by Shannon Mullane, Sawatch Among Counties Banding to Battle Douglas Water Exports. County officials in the San Luis Valley are adamant. They want their water to stay in the valley so much they're actively building new roadblocks to shut down or at least delay attempts to sell it to the Front Range. The San Luis Valley, home to about 46,000 people in southern Colorado, is at the center of a decades-old story in the West, a water-based tug-of-war between growing urban areas and rural, primarily agricultural, regions. This month, six counties in the valley held public hearings, debated, and for some, approved an agreement to create a new regional oversight board that adds an extra layer of vetting for projects that propose taking water out of the valley. Locals say they don't have water to spare. Once water leaves a basin, it doesn't come back, and the idea of exporting water threatens their economics and way of life. We've seen attempts in the past to export the water from the valley out of the, out of the valley, said Vern Hirsink, an Alamosa County Commissioner. We're all joined together, not only by the mountains, but the aquifer underneath us. So we should join together and try to protect that really vital asset, he said. The San Luis Valley is a flat expanse with long straight roads stretching between the San Juan Mountains and the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which rise like teeth to the west and the east. It's bordered by New Mexico to the south and to the north, Salida and the Arkansas River. It's a high elevation desert where agriculture is the primary economic force, one capable of providing better paying jobs in the local economy, according to the 2023 Colorado Water Plan. It's even one of the top regions nationwide for growing potatoes, which need 14 to 17 inches of water per irrigation season, or about twice the annual rainfall there of 8 inches. But its water supply has been threatened by overuse and a long-term drought, just like the water supply in the Colorado River Basin, which lies across the Continental Divide to the west. Crops are fed by rivers and streams in the Rio Grande Basin or by underground aquifers. In dry years, the runoff from the winter snowpack can be eight times less than average, according to the state water plan, and the valleys must comply with legal obligations to share water with New Mexico, according to the 1938 Rio Grande Compact. Since 1977, Water users have pumped so much groundwater that the closed basin aquifer dropped by 1.2 million acre-feet, according to the water plan. In 2002, one of the driest years on record for the Rio Grande Basin, engineers recorded a 400,000 acre-foot drop in the valley's aquifers. Water users in the region now face a 2031 deadline to repay the water debt, according to the reporting by the Alamosa Citizen. It's just a bad situation all around, and we just can't afford to lose more water. We need to police ourselves more than we have been, said Tom McCracken, a Sawatch County Commissioner. Since the 1980s, some enterprising landowners, which some might call water barons, have come up with a few proposals to sell their water to front-range counties in need. Locals are familiar with names like 
American Water Development, Inc., Gary Boyce of Stockman's Water, and Sean Tonner of Renewable Water Resources. The AWDI bought land in the San Luis Valley in the 1980s and unsuccessfully tried to export its water. It sold the land to Stockman's, whose efforts to export water were also stymied. Valley residents quickly united against those efforts, McCracken said. Everyone's against the water exports, he said. In, 2020, in, sorry, in 2002, the Nature Conservancy bought a portion of the company's land and it is now part of the Baca National Wildlife Refuge and Great Sand Dunes National Park. The remainder of Boyce's land, Rancho Rosado, was sold to Tonner, former deputy chief of, the staff, of staff for Colorado Governor Bill Owens, who is an RWR principal. In 2021, RWR unsuccessfully proposed selling its water to Douglas County, and this year the company has contributed thousands of dollars to candidates for the Parker Water and Sanitation District Board, one of the largest water providers in Douglas County. The proposal wasn't viable from the get-go, said Cleve Simpson, general manager of the Rio Grande Water Conservation District, a San Luis Valley resident and a state legislator. I listened to them for two years. I watched them attack my character even though I didn't reciprocate, he said. Without batting an eye, I could demonstrate to the Douglas County Commissioners or anyone who wanted to listen that the proposal was without merit and could not be done. How the agreement works. Enter the joint planning agreement. It's not yet finalized, but the intent is clear. Residents want to increase local water local control over projects that would take water out of the valley. And since what happens in one county impacts others, the officials want an avenue for local governments to weigh in when water export projects are proposed to their neighbors. If approved as cur written currently, the intergovernmental agreement would create the San Luis Valley Planning Board, which would include representatives from counties and local towns and cities. These governments would also agree to create a joint planning area, which includes the six counties in the valley, Alamosa, Castilla, Conejo, Mineral, Sawatch, and Rio Grande. If a member of the agreement, say Sawatch County, gets a project proposal that aims to export water out of the valley, that triggers a joint planning board review. The extra layer of review does not apply to projects that occur entirely within the valley. The planning board's job is to scrutinize whether the project meets all the appropriate permitting regulations, some of which are still being updated. After its analysis, the board will make a recommendation for approval or denial of the project and send it to the local government with permitting authority, like Sawatch. The local government makes the ultimate decision, but it must take the board's recommendation into consideration. This involves some tricky legal footwork because the board can't step on a local government's powers, but local officials wanted to give the board some teeth, said Hearsink of Alamosa. The idea is to make the approval process even more cumbersome to stall or delay water export projects. We hope it represents a roadblock to an applicant that they're like, this is too much to overcome. We don't even want to do it, Hearsink said. That's a hope. The joint agreement becomes active as soon as all six counties in the valley sign on, but some counties are pointing out portions of the agreement that still need fine-tuning from legal teams. The county commissioners from Alamosa and Swatch signed the joint agreement after holding public hearings in early June. Conejos and Mineral Counties plan to hold their public 
hearings in late June. The county commissioners in Castilla and Rio Grande counties held public hearings on June 6 and June 14th, respectively. Rio Grande commissioners decided to table their vote on the agreement after Dusty Hicks, a Rio Grande County landowner and local project manager for a controversial resort proposal on Wolf Creek Pass in Mineral County, pointed out a few provisions that either lack clarity, specificity, or could leave the planning board vulnerable to third-party lawsuits. Castilla officials tabled their discussion over concerns about how difficult it would be to leave the agreement. Under the current agreement, if a local government decided to split, they're bound by the terms of the agreement for five years after their withdrawal. The finalization of the agreement could be delayed by a month or more while commissioners consider these local concerns. Once final, it could trigger a moratorium on new water projects in some counties while local officials update related regulations. This is a brand new concept for counties to join together, form a joint planning area, and a joint planning board, McCracken said. We gotta do everything we can do, so innovative strategies are appropriate. A new spin on water management. This level of regional collaboration is unique, said K.C. McPherson, a senior planner in the Community Development Office at the Colorado Department of Local Affairs. Intergovernmental planning boards are not commonly used around the state, but governments do use them to set up joint review processes for development proposals and to formalize coordination among jurisdictions. As far as McPherson knows, Colorado does not have any active joint planning boards that deal with water issues at the scale of the San Luis Valley Agreement, which could include up to 23 local governments. Water is an issue statewide, in different ways, but it is an issue. Thinking regionally and planning regionally has been on the top of people's minds more and more, in my opinion, McPherson said, based on her work at the Community Development Office. Finding more regional frameworks to deal with shared problems is a huge need given the growing pressures from things like drought. The San Luis Valley Plan also relies on an act passed in the 1970s, House Bill 1041, commonly known as 1041-S. The statutes allow local governments to designate areas and activities as matters of state interest and to create corresponding local rules and regulations to manage them. Each participating county and municipal municipality in the San Luis Valley is creating or updating its 1041 regulations as part of this process. For example, they're adding provisions to say that site selection and construction of new water systems or extending existing water systems are matters of state interest. Other counties have used the 1041 statutes to co-regulate planning issues that go beyond one jurisdiction's borders, often related to oil and gas regulations, historical preservation efforts, or natural hazard areas. Some counties have used the statutes on water-related issues, typically dealing with wastewater treatment, McPherson said. Using 1041 powers isn't new. Using IGAs isn't new. Doing regional thinking isn't new. But putting all that together to face this emerging and growing issue around how do we effectively meet needs with this limited and increasingly strained resource, that is a new spin, she said. I'm going to be watching this on the edge of my seat because I want to know what are the lessons learned? What pitfalls do they run into? How do they overcome them? She asked. 
An additional layer of, San, of regional control will help the San Luis Valley with its water export pressure, but it's not an end-all solution. In Sawatch County, McCracken has been advocating for other ideas, like investing in research into alternative crops, soil health programs that could help improve the water retention of the soils, and even agro-tourism and dark sky tourism along Highway 17. There, drivers see signs for the Cosmic Highway and UFO, UFO, UFO flash by as they drive north or south across the valley. Securing the San Luis Valley's future is a joint effort, and this intergovernmental planning board has reinvigorated that collaboration, he said. I think we can carry that, that unity onto other activities and areas of concern for the valley, McCracken said. I think it's a real positive thing that way. And now turning to Freebox news, volunteers needed for Freebox cleanup and Freebox fashion show. Dear friends of the Crestone Freebox, please join us for upcoming volunteer days to clean and organize the Freebox. We will also select, wash, and prepare clothes for the Freebox fashion show. You can also sign up to help us at our booth at the Crestone Energy Fair to encourage upcycling and redesigning clothing and preparing for the Freebox fashion show at the fair on September 17th. Volunteer Days, Friday, August 25th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Wednesday, September 13th, from 1 to 3 p.m. Thursday, September 14th, from 1 to 3 p.m. Friday, September 15th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Saturday, September 16th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Energy Fair Booth. Sunday, September 17th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Runners and Assistants for the Energy Fair Free Box Fashion Show. Monday, September 18th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Friday, September 29th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. To sign up, please go to tinyurl.com slash freeboxcleanup. Thank you. And now turning to bear news. Bear Aware August begins intense feeding. This is written by Jose Villa. Last year was a bad bear year. Break-ins into homes, some while people were there, others moving around in full daylight showing no fear of humans, destruction of fruit trees, at least one breaching of an electric fence to get to bee colonies, and one dangerous rogue bear trapped and relocated by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Each year is different, and some of the issues are influenced by natural food availability, but the main problem with bears in our area are human-initiated, either through ignorance of the realities or flat-out lack of responsibility. One easy access to rich, easy food, and the bears learn and will be back. They have an intense sense of smell, they are strong, and they are very smart. They can open car doors like sardine cans. They can carve holes in wooden walls, smash windows if they really want to. During their intense feeding phase from August to early November, they take more risks and get bolder if rewarded with easy pickings. Colorado Parks and Wildlife estimates there are about a half a dozen bears in the Crestone Baca foothills. Last year, at least some of them appeared to be doing nightly trap lines of garbage cans from the higher sections of creeks downwards and back to safer areas. Right now, there is plenty of natural food in the higher elevations and along the creeks. Do not make it easy for them to switch to eating out of garbage cans, homes, bird feeders, orchards, and vehicles. Do not bring garbage cans out until the morning of garbage pickup. 
freeze or tightly seal indoors all attractive leftovers until garbage morning. Do not leave any food or attractive odors inside vehicles. Take bird feeders down at night. Be neighborly and bear aware. Report any escalations in the wrong direction to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Leon Martinez, the officer dealing with local bear issues, has, his cell phone is 719-588-6367, wants to defuse bear situations as early as possible. The Monte Vista Wildlife Service Center office phone is 719-587-6900. And in legislative news, Tiny Homes House Bill could provide pathway for updated codes. This was written by Chantel Pence. A pathway has been laid for counties in Colorado to adopt building codes that will allow for tiny homes to be utilized as permanent structures. House Bill 1242, which went into effect August 10, 2022, and began July 1st of this year, regulates the manufacturers, sellers, and installers of manufactured homes, and the Act included tiny homes to be regulated similarly. Two representatives from the tiny home industry were added to an advisory committee that will provide input to the oversight board. The board will create specific standards for tiny homes, utilizing existing national standards, and modifying them as necessary. The board will regulate foundations, establish standards for connecting tiny homes to utilities, and oversee compliance with applicable codes. In short, the bill was written to protect consumers from purchasing poorly built, mobile, or tiny homes, and to provide language for towns, counties, and local oversight groups to adopt codes for permanent tiny homes. The town of Crestone has been ahead of the curve by permitting the construction of homes as small as 300 square feet. Homes must be on a proper foundation, have a kitchen and bathroom, and be connected to utilities. While Crestone proper has building codes in place to support those with small home dreams, the Baca Grand POA has different house size constraints. For the chalets and grants, the minimum square footage is 900. For Casita Park, it's 720. Leroy West, a director for the POA, said that the new law regarding tiny homes does not supersede local zoning ordinances, land use requirements, or design guidelines. Therefore, it does not impact the minimum square footage requirements of the Baca Grand. However, House Bill 1242 provides a new direction to put tiny homes on the same playing field as traditional and modular homes in terms of ensuring quality construction. It does not automatically allow for tiny homes to be built and placed permanently in any given space. Landowners and builders are subject to local ordinances. The Baca Grand's house size requirements have been in place since the organization's inception in 1971, and covenants require a substantial member voice and vote to change. The Board of Directors are bound by existing language and de design guidelines, regardless of how each individual board member feels about the issue. Properly constructed tiny homes placed on permanent foundations could be the answer to more affordable housing for landowners. It will require patient and proactive community participation and working collaboratively with local governing bodies. For more information on this House Bill, visit the website leg.colorado.gov slash bills slash HB22-1242 and you can also check CCIONLINE 
org slash announcements slash tiny dash home dash regulation dash development dash underway. And now take a look at regional happenings. Saturday, August 19th from 3 to 10 p.m. Suds for SAR block party, annual fundraiser party for Alamosa Volunteer Search and Rescue. This will be held on San Juan and Maine in Alamosa and feature food, beer, a silent auction, cornhole tournament, and live music by Blue Sky, Company of Friends, and Old Scratch. On Saturday, August 26th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., SLV Pride Fest, Embrace Your Rainbow, free event at Cole Park in Alamosa. Come embrace your rainbow and celebrate the 5th annual SLV Pride Fest. Food, vendors, and activities for the whole family. SLV Pride is a grassroots community collective of LGBTQ plus residents of the San Luis Valley, representing a multitude of backgrounds and experiences supporting each other and our community through education, advocacy, and friendship. You can check their website, slvpride.org. And now taking a look at the calendar from noon to 1.30 p.m. Baca Grand, uh, I'm sorry, on August 15th, uh, Tuesday. From noon to 1.30 p.m. Baca Grand Association Design Guideline Work Session. And again from 6 to 7.30 p.m. The Baca Grand Association Design Guidelines Work Session on the 15th. Also on the 15th, continuing Ashtanga Yoga. On the 16th, we have the BGWSD August 16, 2023 board meeting at 9 a.m. Also on the 16th, the New Moon Fire Ceremony and Pitru Puja from 10 a.m. until noon. And there's story time at the Baca Grand Library on the 16th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Also on the 16th, Mercadilla and El Rio from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. This farmer's market is weekly on Wednesdays from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Rio Grande Farm Park in Alamosa. Snap and double up bucks are accepted. You can visit the website riograndefarmpark.org slash mercadillo for more information. Speaking of farm markets, we have the Saturday farm market from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. in downtown Crestone and the Thursday market from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in South Crestone, Baca Park. On Thursday, August 17th, Baca Grand POA Information Exchange Meeting will be held from 6 to 7.30 p.m. This is a monthly meeting of Baca Grand POA board, staff, and members to share view and information on community issues. And on Friday, the 18th, Free Food Friday, Food Assistance at the Baca Library. Also on Friday, uh, sorry, the Free Food Friday is from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Baca Grand Library. And on Friday from 5 to 6 p.m., the Aromatherapy Gathering will be happening. Contact Julia for the location. You can email her at younglivingjulia at proton.me. And on Saturday... From 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. on the 19th, drop-in painting with Nomi every Saturday from 2.30 to 4.30 at Gallery 222. The cost is $45. On Sunday, August 20th, Sufi Deeker from 5 to 6.30 p.m. For information, email hamidanur303 at gmail.com or call 719-588-8602. 
And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.